Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 186 of the Chills of Will podcast. Pleasure today to be joined by Stephanie Feldman. Here's a bit about Stephanie. She is the author of the novel Saturnalia and the Angel of Losses, which is a Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writer selection, winner of the Crawford Fantasy Award and finalist for the Mythopoeic. I was going to ask you how to pronounce it. I should ask you before. <laughs> Mythopoeic? Mythopoeic. I was totally not even close. Yeah. I only learned about it when, you know. I got that recognition. For the Mythopoeic Award, she is co-editor of the multi-genre anthology Who Will Speak for America, and her stories and essays have appeared in or are forthcoming from Asimov's Science Fiction, Catapult Magazine, Electric Literature, Flash Fiction Online, the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, The Rumpus, Uncharted Magazine, Volume 1 Brooklyn, Weird Horror, and more. She lives outside Philadelphia with her family. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. It's so great to talk to you. The book Saturnalia is so innovative, so creative. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Not just about that, but about everything else. I'd love to know about um, your, your beginnings. Like, were you the, the the library kid? Were you the one whose family had, you know, magazines and books all over the place? Were you science fiction kid? How, how um, what was your early relationship with writing and, and reading? I I always loved reading. I was a big bookworm and I always loved writing too and wanted to be a writer. So I was one of one of those who was kind of like faded to this from the beginning. Yeah. Um and I also always loved ghost stories and spooky stories. Uh, uh, um although I haven't really turned to that in my writing until um more recently, I guess. Uh but I feel at home now. <laughs> I'm go about to go to the Horror Writers Association conference, and I'm really excited. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so that's how I started out, and then you know, as I got older, I read, you know, a lot of like literary fiction and and studied, um, you know, writing in school. And um, but as I started getting into my own work, I took a lot of twists and turns, you know, through different genres and and blending genres. Does that include twists and turns or different like careers? I mean, you you said you said faded, and we're gonna say faded with a T, not faded yes. with a D. Not that you <laughs> faded into it like ah, geez, it's all you know, it's always left. But being faded to be a writer, I mean, were you always writing? Was that always the path, or was there like a, you know five years you took off or two years you took off? No, I really you know committed to it early. <laughs> I never had much of a plan B, <laughs> right. so I did spend you know years doing nonprofit work, but but it was always a day job to me. Mm -hmm. And um, then when the Angel of Losses came out, I transitioned to doing to teaching and some freelance writing and editing mm -hmm. and, um, you know, working on stories and books. Yeah. Uh, remind me the year of Angel, the Angel of Losses. That was 2014. 2014. 
So even yeah. so a little bit before that, like as you got into high school and college, you, um, you know, who who were you reading? Who were some of those the chill inducing writers, the ones who were thrilling, inspiring, and also probably, you know, kept you in awe? Yeah. Um, well, when I was when I was younger, uh, when I was in middle school, really, I was a big Anne Rice fan. Okay. And I think that that is still sort of in the back of my my head. Um, as I got older and and started, you know, studying writing and workshopping and all of that, I really loved authors like um, Jeanette Winterson and Sherman Alexie and um, Sarah Waters. You know, people who are blending genre and speculative elements. And I, you know, I always thought it was so amazing that people could do that because I love the sort of um I love experimenting with uh departing from reality a little bit even though I was never firmly in the genre world so those were the people who really inspired me oh Sherman Alexia gosh darn it I know <laughs> I'm talking about his his books I have I, I have never met the man <laughs> I, know. I know I know one of my, he was one of my top you know three yeah. authors and ah oh, man I know. Uh, and I think like, I, it's hard to bring it up, but you know, the story collection, um, Tonto and the Lone Ranger, Fist Fight in Heaven, it really like opened up um, possibilities for me. And, you know, whatever came out about him later, you know, that that book still was an influence. Yeah, no doubt about it. That was op opening it up a lot of, of avenues, like you said, I think is so true for, for me, just as a reader, I feel like you did, definitely. I don't, I don't know a lot about interview with, like interview with an vampire, vampire is probably in Rice's fam most famous, is that? Yeah, I really, she has these witch books. I really, okay. I really liked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What, I, you know, not knowing enough about it. I mean, is there, is there a lot of like allegory to be seen there? Or is it more just like plot and like scary stuff and vampires? Would you say that- you know, a, you know what? a, is there a lot of allegory? And B, like, did you see that from the beginning or was it just like, oh, cool story? I think what I took from those books is um, the atmosphere and world building. Mm -hmm. And I think what I loved back then was sort of being immersed in her sort of supernatural New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe that's feeding into um, what I did with Saturnalia, which is creating a kind of supernatural Philadelphia and trying to make it as, you know, to feel kind of real, but in a, in a fever dream kind of way. Well, you, you definitely succeeded that. That's right on. I mean, obviously you would, you would say it the best. That's the way that I felt about your, your Philadelphia. Yeah. It's, it's, we'll talk a little bit more about it in a minute, but it's just like, you know, it is sometime in the future. It's, it's, it's universalizing, you know, it'll still be, uh, it'll still be a great book in 10 years, 20 years. It's not like it was, uh, you know, it'll be dated, but it's also of our time. You know, it's, it's just very, um, you have such a light touch and I, sorry for the pun, but you know, there's a lot of alchemy going on yeah. <laughs> the way that you created, the way that you created that world. <laughs> so that makes sense for Fran Rice. I know it's New Orleans and, and um, like you said, she created such a, such a it's world building world building is such a skill that i'm so in awe of that you do very well as you you know even in the, into these more recent years like who who are you excited about when he or she's got a new book out or story out who are some of the readers who keep writers who keep pushing you to be even better um i love sophia samatar's books okay. uh she's written um a couple of novels a couple of fantasy novels she has a great story collection and just this past year she had a memoir come out um that is about her 
um, travels in Uzbekistan and about her mm. heritage as a Somali American and also yeah. a Mennonite. It's like a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I literally, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I literally have about, you know, like many of us, I probably have 40 tabs open right now on this computer that we're talking about. And one yeah. of them is that that particular article about about being a Mennonite in Uzbekistan. Yeah, wow, okay. Yeah. So I get more encouraged to read it finally. <laughs> yeah, and her writing is just so beautiful. And that's, I was just talking to another writer about this too. Just, I, I want to read a book or a story with great, beautiful sentences. Mm -hmm. And she always delivers that along with great stories. Oh. I also, these days have been um, going back and trying to complete my reading of uh, Jeffrey Ford's work. Okay. And he's more in the fantasy and horror space, I guess. Um, but, you know, just he, he writes really like fantastic, imaginative, surprising, funny stories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I appreciate that. Um, as, you know, you talk about genre. So like I just talked with Robert Otone recently. Who, who definitely writes horror. He's up for uh, for Bram Stoker in about a month or so. You know, I've, I've had the pleasure to speak to like Matt Bell and Allegra Hyde. Yeah. You know, Matt Bell, I mean, all, the, all of them are incredible at world building. Um, you know, on your on the, uh, you know, Robert was talking about how he also got a blurb from um, Paul Tremblay, you know, who's incredible, incredible yeah. in, in his genre, just outside of it. You have the blurb on the cover from Car the great Carmen Maria Machado. Man, so I guess I'm just kind of asking, like, where do you, where are you on that spectrum? Are you, like, I don't, I'm not a horror um, expert. I don't feel like your book is, you know, over the top, yeah. you know, machetes and this and that. But, you know, there definitely has that aspect. Where does it, do, do you fall on that speculative horror or does it matter? Well, it. I guess there's two answers. So it matters when it comes to publishing and marketing yeah. a book. Right. 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 Got to put a label <laughs> and, on it. Yeah. And which makes sense. You know, we need categories just mm -hmm. as a shorthand, really, to try to talk about who our audiences might be and, mm -hmm. you know, the mood or the goals of, of a story. Um, when I'm writing, though, I don't usually think in those terms. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think about, you know, the other books that, I want to be in conversation with or you know the texts that are I'm sort of like trying to fill in a little micro genre okay. I guess and you know so for for Saturnalia I was really thinking about um I really wanted to have this sort of tight you know adventure that is takes place over one night yeah and I really wanted it to have these uh you know it's all about the secret societies and the intrigue and the conspiracies but also you know, how we can use them to talk about, you know, like you said, what's happening in our, our world right now and the greater power dynamics. So in my own little micro genre writing space for that novel, I was thinking of books like Umberto Eco's uh, Foucault's Pendulum and uh, Louise Welch's uh, Tamberlane Must Die, which is um, about Christopher Marlowe trying wow. to, he's, he's a target of this conspiracy and he has... And it's a very short novel. Mm. So that was sort of my own like a genre I invented when I was writing. Mm -hmm. um, I think of myself as a speculative fiction writer. Yeah. Um, most of my short stories these days are leaning more into horror, but kind of like gothic, spooky kind of work, not, you know, psychological horror, not, you know, like you said, slashers or, right. or gore. 
So yeah, I guess speculative fiction is, is such a broad term, but I think it's probably the best descriptor. Okay. I appreciate that. So the book is Saturnalia came out in October, 2022. Yes. Right. I'd love to know some of the seeds for the book seeds, <laughs> a lot of puns, a lot of puns, but, um, you know, just the, the, um, some of the background was this book that was long and coming. Was it, um, did it start out as a different, you know, project? How did it come together? Um, it, I guess I spent about three years on it. So there was this gap between my first book and Saturnalia and I was working on other projects that just never came together. Mm -hmm. And, um, I started writing Saturnalia or thinking about it really, uh, in like 2017. And, you know, if we can think back to that time <laughs> and there was a real, you know, climate of fear and anxiety about the future because of the election and the administration. Um, and then, you know, climate change becoming, you know, a, a more stark and immediate reality. Mm. And so the book really started with me thinking about, you know, how it, it feels when you have lost your faith in stability, right? And we don't know what's going to come tomorrow anymore. And I know, you know, some people have lived with that you know, far longer than, than I did. But for me, that was the first time that I really felt like, wow, like, I really don't know what could happen tomorrow, you know, to, you know, our neighbors or uh, my family or, you know, other people here in the city and in the U.S. And so that was, um, I guess, the the big question that was driving the book. Like, what do we do with that fear? And the characters in the book respond in all kinds of different ways, right? And mm -hmm. some people try to double down and, you know, grasp for power and protect themselves. And other people want to negotiate that uncertainty in, you know, maybe a more like generous or optimistic way. Um, and then at the same time, I, uh, this was before the pandemic, but I, I know, was, right? I was sort of like stuck at home because um, I have little kids mm. and I was like, man, like I was just like love to go downtown to like a big party. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I had also just seen a performance of uh, Pose the Mask of the Red Death, okay, which is about um, a whole bunch of rich people partying during um, like a plague ep epidemic uh -huh. <laughs> and this mysterious figure that sort of hunts them down. Um, so I was thinking a lot about you know, money and, and power and what people with money do when they are threatened and what the rest of us might do. Um, yeah. And then I just tried to make it fun, you know, yeah. Saturnalia party, there are tarot cards and all kinds of other fun stuff. Right. Not that you can trace exactly, but it does kind of sound like it was more like the, the allegory came first or the themes came first and then it's kind of filling in the details. Or was it, or was there a pretty, did you have a pretty early handle on the subject, on the details, the party, the setting, you know, yeah. Philadelphia? That's a good question. I don't know what really came first, but I, I sort of ask these questions all at once. Yeah. You know, even as soon as I, I come up with a premise, you know, in this case, you know, a, a solstice carnival, secret societies, mm -hmm. um, you know, one particular character who has to like fight her way through it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm also thinking like, why does it matter? What's the point of this story? What's going to give it 
emotional heft and meaning. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was at the same time thinking like, what, what matters here? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I try to do that with all of my writing projects, like to keep an eye on both aspects, right? Like the story elements that are going to power the narrative and make it compelling and and interesting and exciting and you know give it a, a structure and an arc mm-hmm. um but also what matters to the characters and what matters to me as a writer and and all of these things are, you know can be fluid and change over time as i try to make it all fit yeah. together but yeah. yeah i always try to think about you know both of those things mm. the the epigraph is a short one but you talked about umberto eco and it's quote an everlasting carnival does not work yeah. So it seems to me there's a lot of, well, not seem, there, there definitely is a sense of like, I guess, hedonism for a lot of characters, right? Where it's like, they're, you know, so you, you in the book, you set up all of these, you know, tornadoes and floods and there's summer fever. And there's like a climate disaster every month, which doesn't sound too fictional, right? These days, you know, yeah. you know, the connection to, well, like marshlands outside of Philadelphia. And, you know, there's the, the settlements up in Canada, and there's the migrant camps that are kind of like impinging on, you know, and they're refugees and almost in a different way than we think of refugee now. Like, well, we do hear a lot about climate refugees and there's just all kinds of disasters that are going on. And so some of the characters is just like, shoot, like, let's live it up. You know, if the world's ending, you know, party like it's 1999 type of thing. I wonder about that connection with the Umberto Eco. Was that was that one of the launching points or was that kind of put in towards the end? Like, oh, man, this fits. Um, I think I, I probably found that, that quote later on, um, but I was excited to find it because, um, he had been one of the, you know, inspiration specifically for the, the alchemy. He has a sequence mm-hmm. in one of his books with alchemists that always stayed with me. And, um, you know, I wanted to write my, my own version of it. And so when I found that, that line about, you know, the carnival, I was like, oh, well, this really like fits what the book is about, you know, it's mm-hmm. that this is a system and a way of life that is not going to last. And are the characters going to face that fact or are they going to stay in denial about it? When you say this is not going to last, are we talking now like bigger things? Are we talking the way that, you know, the world uses so many resources and, you know, climate change has been exacerbated or do you talk or, or like more specifically like they're partying and going crazy that night and. Yeah. And all of it, I guess. The above. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense that, so there's, you set up the Saturn, well, going back a little bit more there, Nina, right? The, the narrator, the main character, the protagonist, she's telling fortunes. She you know, calls it like, quote, the end of days, um, that her initiation gift into the Saturn club was the Saturn deck. And it's one of the oldest, if not the oldest, most exclusive in Philadelphia, the Saturn club. Um, so I'd love to know just about like the idea of telling fortunes and just, the Saturn club, like how much you thought of Saturn, the mythical one, um, and what the Saturn club really stands for. Yeah. So, um, I, I guess this fortune telling thing comes back to, you know, something I was saying earlier about fear of the future and just like how desperately, mm-hmm. I mean, how desperately I would like to know <laughs> what is going to happen yeah, 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 tomorrow yeah, yeah. or next week or next yeah. year. And so that felt like a really, you know, key device for getting at that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she tells fortunes, but she doesn't 
necessarily believe in yeah. Jack, right? She thinks she's kind of a scam artist. And then, you know, maybe she changes her her mind later. Yeah. Um, so that's where the deck came from. And also, I just, I love tarot. I'm kind of an amateur tarot reader, but I wanted to create my own um, set of cards and, and symbols just because I thought that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's cool how the book has the five, the five parts are based on those. The drowning girl is first and the, the Leyden jar. Am I saying that right? Leyden? Yeah. Leyden jar. Leyden jar. The, sphinx, think, yeah. the sphinx, the horseman, the tree of life. But yeah, sorry, good job. But just the idea of like the, the background of Saturn and the Saturn in mythical times and then the Saturn club. Yeah. So this also starts out in like a really like practical writerly place because I knew I wanted the story to take place over one night during a big celebration. So it made sense to set it during the winter solstice because that's the longest night. So then I have enough time. <laughs> yeah, nice. nice. Yeah. So I was like, oh, but I, was, I thought, you know, that that makes sense. And I started digging into solstice traditions. And uh, that's how I ended up with Saturnalia, which was an ancient Roman festival. Yeah. Um, although there are solstice festivals from all over the world in different cultures that kind of, you know, come back to the same, hmm. you know, sort of primal feelings about, you know, it's cold, it's dark. Um we're might be running out of food or we're going into like a leaner time, but like, we're coming out of a leaner time and we're trying to remember that, you know, there are longer and better days mm -hmm. ahead. Um, Saturnalia has a really nice ring to it. Even uh, with my Philadelphia accent, we were talking about whether it should be Saturnalia or Saturnalia. I have to go with like my, my nasal East coast thing. Um, so then I thought, well, if I, you know, I want to have this powerful, you know, members only social club that helps organize the parade. Mm -hmm. So if they're going to be the best club, then they have to be the the Saturn club. And here in Philly, we have the Mummers Parade, which is mm -hmm. a big New Year's Day um, parade. Uh, so I took some inspiration from that, but also Mardi Gras and how Mardi yeah, Gras is yeah. organized by these by the crews. So I I sort of borrowed those crews and I thought, but what if I made them into um, elite clubs that maybe originally were more social uh, or mutual aid organizations, right. but have now developed into these, you know, organizations for the most elite to sort of network and shore up their power and show off. And they organize this big parade, but, you know, they also have their own, you know, secret festivities. Yeah. It's a night of revelry. It's, um, you know, it was pretty much back to normal the next day, right? But it's just like that night they have, I refresh my memory on the the ruler, the... Oh, the the Lord of Misrule. The Lord of Misrule, right? Like it's kind of like a nobody, suppose, you know, it's everything's yeah. kind of uh, flipped upside down in some ways, right? Um, these, when is the winter solstice is what, like December 20th, usually around there? Uh, oh, I should know that, right? I think it's usually like the 24th first or the 22nd yeah, right but it could be the 20th it's right it's like right before christmas yeah yeah yeah. um you know so like w particularly we have max so max is i don't know former lover of nina's never quite yeah like old friend that she's sort of had a thing for right. and yeah we learn more about their past 
so he, you know, he, she's down on her luck. We find out that three years earlier, you know, she felt like she'd lost a lot of her dignity. She'd been, she'd left the, uh, the club. Um, and you know, at this time in the, in the current time of the book, Max has paid her to retrieve some box, you know, it'd be the first time she's going back to the club on the night of Saturnalia. Um, there's also East who she does have a, a history with romantically. Um, you know, he's the, the king, the Lord of misrule that night, you know, this, this idea of up, upending social norms, which thank you sent me down the Wikipedia rabbit hole. You know, a lot of that happened in Roman times, right? Yeah. You know, the, the Kings or whatever would, 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 would feed the slaves instead of vice versa, those type of things. Um, there's there's a point where she narrates Nina does about there's no action but reaction, and I was thinking of Faulkner. I feel like it's been a telephone game over the years where I, I forget the exact quote at the beginning, but he talked about like the sound and the fury, and we read that in high school, and it was so hard, so difficult. <laughs> and and the professor at the end is like, well, you know what Faulkner was once quoted as basically saying, you know, this book is about a woman, a girl who fell and like cut her pants or got her pants muddy, some of that effect, right? Sorry, long-winded way that this book really, in some ways, is about her rape, right? I mean, in so many ways. I mean, that's where it, almost where it begins and ends, right? Yeah. We find out later that um, that East had done that, and it was, you know, it, it would be called what date rape. I mean, it was somebody that she knew very well. Yeah, someone that she loved. Yeah. Someone that she loved, and so I guess you know, so I guess you know that quote about there's no action but reaction. I just I just think about how much of this book, and you do it so skillfully because it's it's not like this happens and then the chronologically the rest of the book happens. It's all these back and forth and we get to know a little bit more. The onion is unpeeled a little bit, you know, peeled back a little bit. Um, so I guess I just wondering about that, how maybe I'm over reading that, that quote and it's just it's fairly simple, but this idea of there's no action, but reaction, how does that kind of govern some of the characters actions and just the book's plot, I guess. Yeah. So, so Nina um, at the beginning of the book, she has escaped, you know, she walked away from the club after what East did to her and, and left it all behind. Mm -hmm. um, and yet she's still kind of stuck in that past. It's kind of a false escape because she is still, um, she's still suffering. And, you know, she, I guess in a way she sort of withdrew from her, her problems and her problems, you know, have followed her. She's living alone in this um, um, this small house that's kind of falling apart and, you know, is, uh, an outcast really of her own making. And so in the book, as she sort of faces this, the challenges of that night where she has stolen this box that Max asked her to get, but she finds out what's in it and it's not what she expected. Mm -hmm. And now everyone's coming after her and she doesn't know who to trust anymore. Um, there's that whole adventure unfolding, but as she, you know, confronts it, she also has to confront her past. Yes. And um, if in the beginning, her life is sort of a reaction to what she experienced I think by the end, she has sort of taken back her own agency, really, and to decide what kind of future she wants, not kind of not whatever present or future has been almost forced on her by others. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're going to stay away from the plot spoilers. I, I I did. I'm sorry to you know to say that about the raid, but I do think it's so crucial to talk about because it's it, it, it affects so many things in the book. 
And, you, you know, early on in the book, she talks about like this holiday is all about abandon and hedonism. And she says, if you get basically, I mean, literally says, if you get raped, though, it's your fault. And I, I took that at the time as just kind of generally, you know, for, for any women or any people. But, you know, we find out her personal experience. I mean, it's such a morality tale is not the word, but I keep I, I hate to keep using the word allegory, but just the idea of as a man, I can't understand. But just a woman who is a victim of that and how much, you know, it affected like her relationship with Amparo, her friend. Right. And yeah. even with Amparo having, you know, in her mind, legitimate reasons to be upset with with Nina. You know, the reader's just like, man, tell her, tell her what happened. Like, it's, not, <laughs> it's not your fault. It's not your fault at all. You know, yeah. that particular night when they, when they, their friendship broke and everything like that, just your book uh, speaks so well to just the ramifications of such, of the, of the sexual violence that happens to her. Right. Yeah. And then it also takes place in a world that's already very complicated when it comes to gender and power. Yeah. And you know, just being a member of the, of the Saturn Club and trying to get ahead and climb that ladder is, you know, fraught and complicated for um, the women in the book. You know, how do you get ahead in um, a society or this institution that's been male dominated? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that these are two, uh, Nina and Amparo, they're two ambitious women, but ambition is really complicated for women too, because it's not something that we're sort of applauded for. Mm. And that, you know, that's already complicating their friendship and their relationships with the other people at the club. And then if you throw on top of this, um, you know, this assault that she suffers and, and how to deal with it. Um, it's God, I really, I haven't thought about this way before, but it feels like kind of a, a trap. And I, mm. I talked about, you know, being trapped in her house in the beginning. And there's another figure that is literally trapped. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, and and so it's it's hard. And I tried to make it, you know, I, I tried to explore just how complex it is. Like we were talking about Nina's relationship with East, and this was her boyfriend that she loved, um, but he also did a terrible thing to her. And just trying to figure out what does that mean? And, you know, Nina trying to figure out, well, what's my culpability? in that event and that relationship and also my relationship with Amparo. And, you know, it's like you said, you want to tell this character, like, just talk about what happened and just be honest with her. Um, and I, I feel that too, as the writer, but how hard it is for her because of all these other reasons. Um, yeah, I've sort of lost my, my place here a little bit, but you know, that, that was a really important thing for me in the book too, as, um, we talked about power earlier and money and resources, but also how gender figures into that as well. Am I right? I mean, you talk about like the Saturn club and these other clubs that we get to know these society, these social clubs that we get to know and they have their histories and they have their, you know, their silences and all that. But it's like, it kind of safe to say even that like some of the, even the bigger, biggest time people are like, they're still even in the shadows. Like that they, you know, like, you talk some of the places we get to know, like the hill areas and the different neighborhoods. Yeah. It almost seems, you know, these, these old men that you describe so well, like you describe them so well by not describing them. They're kind of just like a faceless mass. Yeah. The way, the way, right. But the way you do it is so, is so clever. So I guess just about like, yeah, I guess it's a little bit more about how, what you're saying about, about power, what you're saying about maybe illusions of power, illusions with an eye. Yeah. I think, you know, I was interested in power structures 
but also, like you said, these hidden power structures. Yeah. We think we know who's in charge, but oftentimes it's like backroom deals, Mm -hmm. right? Or the people who maybe are not the face of, I don't know, the city government or the face of, you know, this lobbying group or this social group or whatever. Um, but the people who have been accumulating power, a lot of it is about accumulating relationships mm-hmm. too. And uh, it's like local politics, you know, and I don't, it in a partisan way, but also not a partisan way, but, you know, Max is a figure who has power because he's sort of been cultivating friendships yeah. and making people feel indebted to him. And he doesn't like being in front and getting all the attention, but he can do a whole lot with the relationships that he's built. Um, but then also like how petty it can be too, you know, and when Nina finally faces some of these people behind the scenes and learns about their plans, she's like, this is what they're up to. Like, these are the people who, you know, have all this power over me and everyone else. And what good is power? What's the right use for power? Mm. Well, you're talking a little bit earlier about, you know, ideas of being trapped and, um, you know, you, she, Nina writes about, or Nina <laughs> talks about um, <laughs> Philadelphia as being, quote, a big city to visitors and a small town to natives. The the idea of like the big city to visitors and a small town to natives. I was able to speak with Alice Elliott Dark. Yeah. Was, you know, Philadelphia. And she told me so many interesting things about like, like the history of Philadelphia and the Quakers, right? And we meet Rhea. Am I saying that correctly? Rhea? Uh, Rhea. Rhea. Yeah. Right. And then beginning like, like a... There's like an event they go to with like in, like the Quaker Hall and everyone's quiet and you know. Yeah. But anyways, um, just like the the history of Philadelphia, obviously it has a lot to say about like modern American history as far as like constitution and all of that. Um, but just like the ideas of being trapped. And so if you know, she keeps talking about after what happened to her with East, she keeps having to see him. You know, she sees everyone around, and then there's the in the background there's her relationship with her parents. And it's really lightly, like a light touch in a very good way. But it's just like, I don't know how much of that is her shame, maybe, in what happened to her or, you know, with with the assault or just in general that she's, you know, quote, not say successful as she wanted to be. But her family, especially her dad, they seem to be very good people and they want her back. I just wonder about ideas of her being trapped and then how much of that is of her own making, which I even hesitate to say because she's not responsible for what happened right. to her. Right. But I just wonder about like trapped and, and how much that affected her relationship with her with her family. Yeah. I mean, I I agree with your your take on it that um, I mean, I guess, you know, characters or people, you know, we just try to understand like why they have made the choices that they've made without blaming them or judging them. I think that's that's what makes fiction such a great like practice for empathy, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I certainly would not like blame Nina for the situation she's in, but she's also made a lot of choices that have, you know, created this situation. And absolutely, she's like, you know, withdrawn from her whole world. And that includes her family because of the shame that she feels. Um, But, you know, she's also been trying to get away from her family for a long time, because she's been trying to climb the social ladder. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, there's shame in that too. And it's, you know, a lot about social class. And I, I tried to use Philadelphia to, um, I don't know if metaphor is the right word, but just how, you know, as a, 
I guess all cities and places are like this too, but the geography of it is also expressing social class and social organization. Hmm. And in Philadelphia, you know, we call Philadelphia city of neighborhoods. Uh So yeah. And her family's in a certain kind of neighborhood. She comes from a certain kind of background. And that's something that she bonded with her friends in Paro and East about because they're, they're also from the neighborhoods and then came to the university of Pennsylvania, downtown this or West Mm -hmm. Philly, really this elite Mm -hmm. institution. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's been trying to escape her class background really and climb the social ladder and get power and prestige and money and all of that. And she feels like she failed. Mm-hmm. You know, the Saturn Club was her way of coming up in the world. Sure. And when she left, that all sort of fell apart. And she's embarrassed about that and what yeah. her her family would think about that. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, over the course of the book, she comes to think about those class issues in a new way too. Definitely. Yeah, there's a point where she she's reflecting and she basically calls it like a, she was kind of always been part of a quote, secret society of one. Yeah. Right. Always trying to you know be something different, do something different. Like we talked about, the book is divided into the five cards, the five parts. Um, it ends with the tree of life. And there are a lot of horrible things that happen in the book. There are a lot of traumatic things that happen in the book. And it's not done in a cheesy Mickey Mouse way, but is is the ending, with, without saying what it is, or, you know, the ending is not like a necessarily a clean, you know, yeah. kids, you know, happily ever after at all, as as life is, it's very realistic, but... Is there, do you have an optimism? I mean, there's a lot about, you know, there's like you talk about, there's climate disasters and there's, there's misogyny and there are, you know, there are class issues and classism. Um, but do you find an optimism in general in this book or in just general about the world that we're in? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, in my real life, it's hard to be optimistic. I didn't make this up. I don't know who I heard say this, but I, I keep thinking about the line that hope isn't a thing you feel it's something you do Mm. and i i try to remember that um but as a writer i'm a much more hopeful writer (laughs) (laughs) i am as a person um just because i think you know if you i mean really if you go through however many hundreds of pages with with a book you don't want to end in a bleak place even if you've had to suffer through some bleak truths yeah and the ending certainly isn't isn't pat and you can imagine a lot of different you know futures for these characters even though nina has completed this particular journey in her life so um but i i do like to imagine hope in the ending yeah again staying away from some of the plot spoilers but there's so much uh, about like alchemy and these kind of ancient secret societies and secret information and you know all of the the shadows around there's a lot about myth, you know, that's you know based on Saturn. There's a lot about, like, the, like I said, the tarot cards and fortunes, and um, you know, just on a plot basis, it's so many cool twists and turns. And oop, you thought this person was on so and so side, and they're not. Or oh, okay, I get why they did that. So it's just got something for everybody. I mean, it's the most positive way. It doesn't quite fit into horror, or uh, but I love the idea of speculative fiction. It's, and even like you know, again, like I said earlier, like is this twenty? 40 is this 2020 you know is this 2026 
Is this 2050? It's just like a really going to be a long lasting book that really has so much to say about our world. And it's just a darn good, again, plot driven book. Congrats. Thank you. How does it, how does it feel this, you know, we're what, I guess seven months on, like is, do you feel like the book, you know, there's all the hoopla when it comes out and everything like that. Do you feel like the book has like a, is like a second life? Like, is it, I could see it being taught in, in different like college courses. Does it mean something different to you now than it did in October? I don't, I don't know if it means something different. It's been um, really gratifying to share the book because it is, like you said, kind of unusual in some ways that it has these, you know, fantasy elements, these thriller elements, but it's also got, you know, social commentary and it's a literary book and, and all of that. But I think that the readers have really understood and appreciated what the book is, mm-hmm. which is just the best feeling. Cause you just don't know what is going to happen when you put a book out in the world. So mm-hmm. I, I feel really, you know, happy and, and grateful about that. And yeah, you're right. The publishing cycle is very weird and it's a real roller coaster <laughs> and seven months out, it's hard to say, you know, what is going to be next for for the book, I'm I'm hoping that when the fall season comes around again and it's solstice season again, yeah. that you know readers more more readers will will pick it up. Yes. Um, because it is it was really fun to just like create this whole holiday, really. Uh-huh. Um, or you know, piece it together from other other traditions as well. Um, and you know, I I hope to celebrate Saturnalia. You know, maybe not as uh, lethal as it is in in the book, but like <laughs> please, please don't, please don't, please don't. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I feel like some some books, and this is not this is not necessarily a diss. Like some of the books, some books are like of the moment. They're like really like in that moment. Like, oh, cool, this makes a lot of sense now. But this book is like of the moments, and it's really gonna be long lasting. And let's end with this by Carmen Maria Machado. She wrote on from the blurb. It's a heady mix of the most terrifying elements of our troubled past and inevitable future, an eerie propulsive novel. Propulsive in so many ways. Yeah, I feel like it's self-propelling, you know, something that will be, again, read in five years and 10 years and one year. And it's like, oh, it still still rings very true. Thank you. I'd love to know about any future projects you might have, if you want to share. Yeah, uh, I'm working on a novel. I I always joke, you know, that's my answer. Whenever people are like, so what are you up to these days? I'm working on a novel. That's been my answer for like 20 years. <laughs> it's, not, it's not wrong. You're not wrong. You're not no, and it's going to probably be my answer for the rest of my life. I'm working <laughs> on a novel. Um, different from from Saturnalia, uh, something that I think of more as like a, a gothic uh, uh-huh. story that kind of like walks the line between speculative and, and realism. Okay. Whereas like Saturnalia is like, full on like you get full on into some you know like we said alchemy and and mm-hmm. stuff like that um but you know exploring some of the same themes of um gender and um ambition um it's also set in philadelphia i gotta get out of the city <laughs> i'm trapped like the characters in the book the thing about philadelphia is i grew up here is that you can leave but usually you end up coming back. <laughs> so I might be, I might be writing about Philadelphia for a long time. <laughs> one of the, this is totally a minutia thing, but one of the things in the book, there was, um, I think it was saying like for the night of Saturnalia, the open carry laws are, are it is, you can open carry. 
Yeah. Doesn't Philly have this thing where you can like bring your own alcohol to a restaurant or something like that? Or oh yeah, I guess that's technically different. Well, Pennsylvania has these weird laws, like old laws that have persisted. So like you can't, it's changing a little bit now, but we have like government or state run liquor stores. Okay. Wow. So it's been recently that you could get a bottle of wine at like a supermarket. Mm. And even then there's like a ton of regulations. Um, So yeah. And then things are closed on Sundays. I think they call them blue laws. Really? Does that, does it have, does it have like a Quaker background to it? Like or or any sort of religious background? Huh? And it's probably a religious, it's probably rooted in religion, I'm guessing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. Thanks again for talking to me. I wish you great luck with that next novel. And it's just oh, been so awesome you. talking to you. Thank you for this great conversation. Thank you. And please give us uh, any social media info or contact info for you. And then also, if there's any any particular bookstores, you know, we can buy the book anywhere, right? We can buy it on Bookshop. We can buy it on Amazon. But any particular yes. places you might recommend. Uh, well, okay. So first, um, I am still on Twitter, <laughs> SB Feldman, uh, and I'm on Instagram at Stephanie Feldman, and my website is stephaniefeldman.com. Okay. So those are the places you can find me online. I just had a story come out in um, Weird Horror um, this spring, and that story is nice. online to read now too. It's called The Getaway, and it's like a little spooky tale about quarantine and friendship, uh... and um what else oh bookstores so we have so many great independent bookstores here in philadelphia so if you were to order the book from main point books uh or a novel idea in philadelphia i can sign it for you i'm sure if you you know if you contact the store and ask i'm around okay Okay. i'm in those places often but otherwise you can get the the book anywhere i'm laughing what a clever title the novel idea yeah When you said uh, about social media, Stephanie B, B as in boy? Yeah. All right, Stephanie B. Feldman. Thanks so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to episode 186 with Stephanie Feldman. You can now subscribe to the Chills of Will podcast on Apple Podcasts. Please leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa. Find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills of Will Podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills of Will PO1, the digit one. Sign up now for the Chills of Will Podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. Last name is R I E H L. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. Thanks in advance for supporting my one man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing and promoting to keep this independent podcast podcast pumping out high-quality content. This is a passion project of mine, a DIY operation, and I'd love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look in an often-ignored art form. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour. Both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 187 with V. Castro. She's a two-time Bram Stoker Award-nominated writer born in San Antonio, Texas to Mexican-American parents, and she has been writing horror stories since she was a child, always fascinated by Mexican folklore and the urban legends of Texas. Her latest is The Haunting of Alejandra. This episode will air on June 13th. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills, like Stephanie Feldman, whose work, like Saturnalia, gives you chills at will.